This week, in the first interview on our Live Your Own Fit podcast, I have an incredible guest with an even more incredible story. Chris Jones is his name, and he's influenced my friends, my family, and myself with his very holistic approach to health and performance through his business, Primal Movement. And he also has a near-death story of survival after a very large tree fell on him in a remote area of New South Wales while on Christmas holidays in 2017. He's a certified Czech practitioner and Czech holistic lifestyle coach with 14 years experience in the industry, helping people achieve goals and improve their lives. Primal Movement is a large private studio gym on the northern beaches of Sydney, where Chris and his team coach, consult and work out. I caught up with Chris at Primal Movement when I visited my hometown of Sydney this year, and I can't thank him enough for taking the precious time and energy out of his rehabilitation schedule to sit down and have this chat. As you'll hear, Chris also talks openly about his very traumatic experience of being crushed under a tree for hours and the journey of recovery and discovery he has been on and still going through. It is a true reflection of his personable and honest nature that he was so giving to myself and everyone else listening in. I hope you enjoy it. Chris, when and what started your interest in learning what health means? Uh, I was always a fit, sporty sort of kid. and I was into rugby and cricket and swimming and all that stuff. Uh, but it wasn't until I was 30, uh, my dad had cancer. Um, and when I looked at it, actually just after he died, um, I could see that I was an almost mirror image in terms of how my life was planning out, panning out and what I was doing. I was a chartered accountant at the time working in the big bad city in a stripy suit and all sorts of nonsense. Uh, so my dad died and um, my wife Nikki and I were back in the UK for the best part of a year and we just said, right, we don't want to follow the same sort of a path. Um, so we'll chuck our lot in with, uh, fitness training. We both loved sport and exercise. Um, and we did our PT exams, uh, and that was the start of it. Uh, we didn't have any commitments of mortgage or kids at the time. So we just said, right, if we can pay the bills for six months, um, we'll get, we'll give it a go. And that was what, four 13, 14 years ago, I think something like that. Yeah. So that would make you how old now then? Yeah, quite old. <laughs> I'm not feeling any younger these days. Um, so sport, when you were a chartered accountant or just keeping fit in general, what were you doing back then? Uh, I went to a sports crazy school, so mainly team sports, uh, rugby and cricket particularly, a bit of soccer. Um, Is this in the UK? Back in the UK, yep. yeah. And then when I came over here, uh, sort of towards my late 20s, I just got more into the beach stuff, you know, running on the beach, we started doing little triathlons, uh, ocean swimming, you know, all, all the stuff that we take for granted here and we just love. Um, uh, there was actually a, a guy who I did a bit of personal training with, he trained me, um, and I'd see him every morning out on Manly and he'd be training clients and then half an hour later I'd be off in a, sh a shirt and tie on the way to the ferry in the city and he'd be still on the beach waving at me. And I'd be like, oh, this guy's going to sust. So, so he was a big inspiration for me. So you wanted to open up your own place no initially we wanted to, we both wanted to be outdoor trainers i just thought we'd just get out on the beach and how's that for a job brilliant but i was in about the second day i think and of being an outdoor trainer doing a few sessions and thought well i'm gonna be bored of this pretty quickly so i managed to fall in uh with guys who were trained by the czech institute in the states so you know they put the thinking behind why somebody's doing an exercise and then the all the nutrition and holistic stuff and you know it just all made sense um one of the first things uh one of the guys a guy called mike did for me was drew a series of sinks uh i don't know if you've seen this diagram where the stress comes in at the top um and flows out of the bottom of the sinks and obviously when the stress flowing in is exceeding the stress coming out symptoms arise and we start getting problems so this guy just drew me this picture and i was like wow they can totally see how this is affecting everybody and me. Yeah, very and, easy. Yeah, it was just a real eye-opener, just one of those sort of eureka moments. Um, so, yeah, I got into the gym and trained at uh, Fitness First and DY for four years with a really good crew. And then um, we came and three of us came, broke away and set up Primal Movement. Yeah, which is where we are now. And how many years ago would that have been? So we've been 
nine or ten. We've been in this current location in Brookvale for six. And a couple of kids. Two kids, Paxton who's six, uh, and Indigo who's uh, not quite two. So oh, yeah. yeah. And you were off in 2017. Your business is going well. Kids are a lot of fun. Wife's great. And you went camping mid, mid North Coast or mid coast of uh, New South Wales, a um, place called the Mile Lakes. And um, it started to get a little bit windy. And <laughs> can you paint us the picture of what sort of what happened over the next four hours uh, for everyone? Uh, yeah, the pretty full on four hours. So, uh, as you say, it got windy. A southerly came up, and we were on the north side of the lake, Mile Lakes. Um, and the, because of the, the fetch of the, of the, the lake, the waves were getting pretty choppy. So we had a little sailboat, a little, little laser. I went down probably six or seven o'clock in the evening and just pulled it out of the water. Uh, I just cooked the kids their dinner and everything. They were settling down. Um, and I literally, as I put the boat down, um, I just heard a crack. I turned around and there was a fairly large tree heading my way, not very far from, uh, from me. So. Uh, I dived to get out of the way, uh, all of which is caught on camera by some local tourists or some tourists. Yeah, and I, I, I did get to see oh, you've that. Seen it. <laughs> I haven't seen and it. And you didn't have much of a head start because the tree was already at about a 45-degree angle. Yeah, that's right. Before it started to crack and fall. Yeah, so it didn't so the, have long and multiple branches to try and dodge. Yeah, so the whole thing came up, roots and all. Um, I initially thought it had cracked in half, but it wasn't. It was the, it was the whole root ball and everything. Um, so I got knocked out uh, only for a few minutes, um, came to uh, and was pinned uh, sort of, if you, if you imagine in an American cop movie, they've got the white line drawn around the body on the side, arms and legs bent. That was me pinned to the ground with the tree across my pelvis. Uh, and as I came around, my wife, Nikki, was behind me and then 10 or 12 or so uh, other campers who many of whom we'd sort of chatted to and befriended over the, the holiday, were there trying to help. And it was about, it was just on sunset sort of? Yeah, it was just starting to get dusky. Uh, it wasn't dark at that point. Um, uh, so <laughs> the initial reaction from people around you and, and from Nikki and the kids, what was the, the mood or the energy like at first? Uh, Nikki was the interesting one. I think she had the biggest effect on me in the fact that she was... 50% screaming, what the F's going on here? What's, you know, just going slightly crazy, as you'd expect. But then the other half of her was the sort of cool, calm, calculated, rational, uh, outdoors girl, which she is, um, shouting, who's getting the fireys? Who's on the ambulance? Somebody notify National Park. She, she was just on it. And... Um, Knowing how good she is, you know, a lot of experience in outdoor sports and things. Uh, from that moment on, I just knew she's got it, and I'm not going to worry about that stuff. Uh, and it was, it, it was just an enormous factor in, in in how I survived, really, that I didn't have to stress out about it. What was your initial reaction when you came to and realised your position? Uh, sort of disbelief, and then holy crap, I, I could die here. Like this could be me dying. It was the, so a little bit of stress, anxiety of that yeah, thought was, early on. Yeah, it was all, it was all internal. Like I somehow managed to keep fairly calm on the outside, um, but I've since worked with a psychologist, um, uh, just on you know on the whole recovery as well as the incident, and uh, she said the word terror to me, and it was one of those penny dropping moments, and I thought that's exactly how I felt. It was. 15, 20% of me inside that was just absolutely terrified. And I, I don't think I showed that, but it, it was absolutely real. Yeah. Um, and so how, how, how long do you feel that it, you settled into it at all, mentally or physically? There was a, you, you, you calmed down or accepted it, surrendered to it? Yeah, it was, it was pretty quick, I'd say. Nikki, Nikki's reaction in getting the, the emergency services organized was pretty quick. And... I just went immediately into sort of preservation stage um, where literally I just thought, what, I, need to, I need to stay alive here. And I had, you know, my kids running through my head and all that sort of stuff. Good motivation. Pretty good. They were only about 200 meters away, although they didn't know what was happening. Um, 
so I just thought, right, what, what do you do to live? You, you breathe. So I literally just lay my head down. Someone gave me a fleece or a cushion or something, put my head on. And I just went into this sort of breathing meditation. And I, I don't know why this is, but I, I, my mind immediately went to the, uh, the Concept 2 rowing machine, which is some of the most physically uh, exhausting exercise I've ever done. And when I've been in those moments on there, um, I put myself through a series of just pull the thing 10 times. Just keep pulled 10 times and start recounting. Count to 10 again, count to 10. So I just did that with my breathing. And I just, I just thought, I'm going to breathe once. I'm going to breathe twice. And I got to 10 and I started again once, twice. And at, at one point, a lady came over and sort of was, I don't know, consoling me or rubbing me on the shoulder or something. And I, I, I kind of freaked out because she, she got me out of the, the moment and the thing that was, that was keeping me going. So, so you did that for hours, maybe? Probably the best part of an hour. I was two hours under the tree in total. Um, there were some really sharp guys on the campsite who were really proactive and got carjacks and were all do- doing all sorts of different things trying to get the pressure off me, which helped a little bit initially. But then after, I'm guessing, about half an hour, um, they lifted a little bit of pressure off and it made it worse. And I thought, well, hang on here, we're on, we're on for a crush injury scenario, so put it back on. Just could have bled out if they'd opened up. Yeah, and some wounds, toxic shock so. and all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, because they'd released a little bit of the pre- like a small amount, and that had felt, you'd felt that difference in a good way. Yeah, that's right. But then when they started to lift the branch that was really on you, it, um, it wasn't going to feel good. So it was a decision mostly from your part to say, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that's not feeling good, guys. Let's yeah. just drop it back down. That's right. I sort of instinctively knew that it wasn't a good thing that was happening. Wow. And so about an hour of breathing exercises. And through this time, you've got fire brigade emergency services turning up and giving you, started giving you some drugs. Yeah, the, uh, the police were there first, I think. And then the... Um, then the fireys got there, and they, they were this one, I think maybe it was a paramedic. They were, kept asking my history. <laughs> was I allergic to this? And that I was like, I don't really, it's like, get on with it. Get this thing off me, <laughs> for God's sake. <laughs> you don't need my full details of my date of birth. Um, but the, the ambos were the last there. And because of the crush injury, they couldn't take this or get, get me out from under the tree until they were there with the, with the meds. So I, was, I just had to sit it out, really. Yeah, and so you're dealing with the pain with no medication for that whole time. Did did you just somehow manage to become numb to the pain, or your body did go numb, or how uh, did you deal with that? Yeah, I don't know if I was numb. I, I definitely couldn't feel my legs. Uh, they were sticking out the other side, and I didn't really know what was happening with them. Um, but I was vomiting under the pressure of the tree, which was pretty distressing, and I, and then I felt... Um, not that I want to be too graphic, but I felt fluid building up in my stomach, which I, I, I was thinking, oh my God, if that's, this is blood, I could be in major trouble here. Uh, and, and you stop, you know, when you're thinking about it at the time, you, you're building up this picture of what could be. So I'd have to settle myself back into and I just breathe. It, it is what it is. You can't change, like, you've got no influence on what's happening internally. You've just got to breathe. It's the best thing you can do. Very much focusing on the things that you can control, not the things that you yeah, have that's absolutely right. no control. There was a lot out of my control that wasn't worth worrying about. Yeah. yeah. And then once the drugs kicked in, did it become easier to surrender, to, to relax into it a bit? Yeah. Um, or, or did that then instigate the next phase of things where action is starting to take place and you're starting to worry about the next move, you know, getting you out from under the tree? Or did you just let everyone do their thing? And just kept focusing on your breathing. I was definitely on the breathing, you know, uh, as much as I could. What was interesting was my um, my bladder and my um, urethra were separated in the uh, when the tree hit me, uh, and, and there's a lot of emotional stuff tied in on that uh, around paralyzed will, uh, and that's exactly how I felt. I I, I had to surrender. That's one of the big emotions around, around the bladder, I think, is this sur- surrender. And I, and I couldn't move. I couldn't fight it. So I had to surrender, and the breath was a big part of that. Um, and I was just hanging out for them to get there. So, but it's, it's maybe you've experienced it. you just got to get to the end of this race or the end of this bike. This bike's not going well. I've got to get to the end of the bike. You know the end is there. 
it's going to come at some point. I'm not going to be under this tree forever, or even not going to be on the bike forever. But you know, there was there was a willing of time to pass without panicking. Did the drugs knock you out a bit, or were you still? I was still with quite, it to a small degree, but I was yeah. I was losing. I think physically as well as the drugs kicking in. Just getting fatigued. Yeah, and, and, just... and, and I, was, I was getting close to being unconscious and all that stuff. And all the other toxins that were going through uh, your yeah, body yeah. as well. A lot, of, and, a lot of that stuff. And um, so there was no, you know, what are you doing? When are you going to lift the tree? You, you weren't asking questions then. You were leaving that up to Yeah, a little bit. Nikki, I mean, I had, Nikki, I had faith in those guys to do all that. I mean, they were, I, I, I'd probably be lying if I said there wasn't the odd thing floating around in my head about that sort of stuff, but I was... I was really just trying to control what I could. Yeah, because I imagine there's you want to know at some point what's going to happen, what's likely to happen, what's the worst that could happen. But at the same time, you you need to save your energy as well and not not worry about their reaction so much. But um, so then they just decided to lift the tree up as much as they could. Yep, and then they just quickly yanked you from underneath yeah that's that that, how it happened yeah that's right so they they said we can't get the tree off you completely but we can lift the tree and get you out so i, I remember the paramedic saying that or the fiery whoever it was um and then they you know they're amazingly trained in terms of reassuring you and you know uh, controlling the situation uh, and i just remember them saying that and next thing uh, one or two guys had me under the armpits and they, they pulled me out like a cork like it was i just remember flying out uh it was just incredible and you felt, do you remember relief that you could breathe a bit easier or? Yeah, I think the breath and the, the, the not having that compressive force on me was, a, was, was, the, was the big relief. You Literally not being squashed, you know. <laughs> it's like someone giving you the big, world's biggest bear hug. But obviously everybody around, including yourself, knew that you weren't out of the woods. It was still a great chance that something could go really wrong. Um, especially right then, as they pulled you out of the tree, uh, and that yeah, I, you had to get I th- to the hospital. I think at that at that point, I, I just sort of gave myself in to to the medical guys, and and, and that was it. I, I just, you know, I I couldn't fight anymore, or I just I I stayed with it consciously as long as I could, because that was the other thing I thought: if I lose consciousness, there's more chance of me dying. So I, I need to stay awake and I need to breathe. Um, so I was even in the ambulance, which was another hour and a half down to John Hunter in Newcastle. They stopped to give me a couple of pints of blood on the way. Um, even then, I was consciously just trying to stay semi-alert, might be putting it strongly, but with it to some degree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember feeling drunk when I did my collarbone <laughs> and they gave me a green whistle. <laughs> oh, they meant to be good. <laughs> Let alone how much stuff they'd given you. Yeah, they were, they were packing it in me. They weren't, yeah. they weren't shy. And then into Newcastle Hospital and... You live in Sydney and Newcastle's about an hour and a half away or so. Um, so suddenly your family's got to make a, make a place in Newcastle. Like they can't, they don't want to come back to Sydney. No one's going to leave you. It was probably about two weeks or so, was it? When maybe two and a half to three weeks when my sister Jackie and I were driving up from Sydney to Noosa on, our road, on a road trip up and Jack's a client of yours. And so she's like, yeah, well, we'll, let's pull in and see Chris. And so we saw you there about, yeah, three weeks after it happened maybe. Um, and you had tent poles holding your hips together that were coming up and forming a little tent in front of your pelvis because your pelvis, pelvis had been so crushed. And you didn't look like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> your eyes were very red. Um, and, yeah, you were pretty uncomfortable, couldn't move around a lot, couldn't feel your left leg hardly at all. Um, and I don't know, can you, you want to talk us through sort of the first few weeks there in, in hospital and, and Nikki and the kids having to live in Newcastle away from home and how you guys dealt with that? Yeah, I, I guess there were two separate struggles going on, if you like. One was the discomfort I was in and particularly the reaction to the medical drugs. I mean, they had me on ketamine, morphine, you know, horse tranquilizers effectively, uh, and as you say, I had this uh, rigging around my pelvis, holding me in place, and um, it, it was it was almost impossible to to get comfortable and and, and kind of not not feel um, either the bed was you know in the 
squashing you or you you have to roll over and you couldn't roll over or whatever it was it was it was just really tricky especially at night you know and some of the nurses there were just absolutely incredible at supporting you through that when you you just needed an idea of how you could change the angle of the bed or move this way or that way or do something just to change it up um so that was a bit of a personal you know and i had a few episodes in the night when uh, i wasn't good uh and it was really tough but then the other side was obviously the family and um we were really lucky in the fact that we had support of some friends who, you know, uh, happened to be away and let us use the house. And another friend of mine, actually an old school friend, who let us use his house a different, uh, different week. Um, but that was really tough. I mean, for for Nikki, she she was under the, you know, the whole anxiety and everything what was happening to me, and then having to deal with two young kids, um, you know, who really didn't know what was going on, uh, and then do all the basic things like she was. She was getting me food and organizing support from everybody, um, uh, coming back and forth to Sydney. You know, it was Christmas, so she wanted to have Christmas for the kids, for them not to miss out. It was... Uh, I, I, Chris, Christmas in a strange house in Newcastle while you're in hospital, Yeah, you know, <laughs> half paralyzed, uncomfortable, and, you know, yeah. that's... And you couldn't sleep on your back, could you? Did you have to be on your side? No, well, I, I, I had to be on my back because um, of the the framing on the front um but i couldn't really roll over so i'd, I'd f- they gave me this special bed that would had all these ridges in you'd pump up a special mattress but you i just felt like i'd fall into the ridges and you couldn't get out and then you'd change the angle and the thing would crumple up and you'd get stuck and it would just drive you mental at you know three o'clock in the morning when you're yeah. your head on drugs. as well as all the internal injuries that you were dealing with as well that were still, everything was still unknown at that point really, wasn't it? How how the rehab was going to come along. Well, I was still having surgeries during that period. So I had ended up having six different surgeries and I had a catheter in and all of these sorts of tubes and wires and things all over the place. Yeah, it was just, uh, it was just horrible. And when we dropped in, you were getting all sorts of good supplements and, well, real supplements, but, you know, collagen and... Yep. Good proteins and, yeah, that, you know, your food is not the normal food that someone would eat in hospital. So, so in, I think I was in Newcastle for eight weeks in hospital and I ate two meals from the hospital. Um, and it just wasn't in our health paradigm to eat crap food to recover. It just didn't work. Like there was no way we were going to have sugary stuff and crappy bread or whatever it was, processed stuff. and give your body the chance to recover like it didn't work so that's you had enough inflammation oh, going on right. didn't, you didn't need to didn't need to hit the processed grains hard but that was the other thing for nikki you know she she's of the same mind as me and that we we have so much uh faith in good nutrition and we put so much effort into it that she was you know adamant that i was going to get proper food so she would be cooking and bringing stuff up she had a rotor for all our friends would come up and bring uh, you know, bringing up casseroles and stocks and a lot of bone broth. Oh, yeah. I was first weeks she was trying to slam bone broth down me. I was like, no, just give me a green salad. I, just, I can't handle it. But yeah, you know, all these things. And um, we were really, you know, really lucky with the community we'd built up. There were, which was an enormous factor actually. Um, there were a couple of people that I really trusted uh, with nutritional supplements and things, uh, and they gave me some some tips and ideas on. Uh, and that sort of stuff. So again, that was you know another job for Nikki. Go out and find all these special supplements, and they've got to be this type and that type. And you know, the nurses thought I was just this. Who's this lunatic that's flown in from Mars? You know, he won't eat the food, and he's he's got organic toothpaste. And <laughs> what's wrong? So with it was it was pretty extreme for for the usual hospital food. But your your day to day food, even when you're not recovering from getting crushed by trees, is pretty similar, isn't it? It's just real food. Yeah. It's a bit like the the movement business you've got here, primal movement, you eat fairly primal as well, just no no processed food. It's just as simple as you can imagine it. It's just it's good veggies and fruit if that's your bag and it's good meats and, you know, uh, fish and eggs and cheese and as clean as stuff as you can get it, locally sourced and, all, and it's just nothing complicated. And then, you know, you can play with ratios of macronutrients and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, the basics of it's just real normal food. Yeah. Was there anything that you that you missed while you were in hospital? That well, I gen- generally did crave green salads, which is I don't normally eat a terrific amount of salad, but um, 
And I, I, I struggle a bit with the heavy food. You know, I had so many clients and then Nikki and everybody bringing me all these really hearty, you know, broths and stocks and soups and casseroles and all this enormous, enormously beneficial nutrient-dense food. But I just didn't feel I had the capacity to break it down and process it. And, you know, uh, I, need, I, I needed something lighter at the start. Yeah. Um, and so you were getting some good, good other supplements that were a bit easier to... Easy to process. Yeah, we got some yeah. phytoplankton supplements and uh, stuff that I'd never even heard of. Yeah, collagen. Collagen and... was a big one, I think, for the re repair side of things. Uh, Anti-inflammatory, you know, really high quality f uh, omega-3 fish oil type things. You're taking green stuff as well, were you? Um, I think I probably... Any of the chlorophyll yeah, or... Um, I would have had a mix Spirulina yeah, stuff. I would have I had a mix of that. some of that stuff. Yeah, there. I did at the start, which I don't normally take, but again, we switched it to... You know, to that sort of acute recovery phase, yeah, and uh, real anti-inflammatory. Yeah, yeah. There was my inflammation markers were just unbelievable. And again, with all the drugs trying to counteract a few extra toxins floating around in your body. Oh, yeah, and, a, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so Newcastle for about eight weeks, and then back here to Sydney. You got to go back to your own home. We went, or you were in hospital down in Sydney for a bit. Yeah, I had a couple of months. Oh, sorry, six weeks in uh, a brand new rehab hospital in Moriwood which was just brilliant for the, uh, the family dynamic. And, and again, it, it allowed me to be supported by all the people in our little community because I, I was close to them coming to visit. And people would drop in and I could go out in the afternoons and we'd go to the beach and get some sun. And you know, again, people just think you're mad. I was just every, we'd go to the gym in the morning, I'd come out and I'd be outside in, you know, on the balcony with my shirt off, getting as much sun as I could and, you know, <laughs> People are looking at me like I'm just a lunatic. And he's going, well, it's just the sun. It's good for you. It's going to help you recover. You know, but you, I was, seemed to be the only person doing those simple health things. And I remember being in Newcastle and thinking, if I'm not the healthiest person in this hospital the next couple of months, I'm going to fall over and, you know, in hysterics. It's, it's not funny. I've yeah. got to be streets ahead. So you, you gave yourself every chance. And um, then you've slowly worked your way back to starting some rehab here at, at your gym in Primal Movement. Um, and how's the rehab been going? Yeah, that's good. It's, um, it's an interesting dynamic. I've never really been through any rehab. I had serious injuries before. You know, whether it's how much load you put on, how often you train, are you, have you got muscle soreness or are you causing problems, how much are you recovering and resting, you know, all of these different aspects. Uh, I'm getting to experience firsthand now, and um, you know I'm I'm pretty sure it'll make me a more empathetic trainer, <laughs> as opposed to you know barking at people who are not, who are not doing something right. Well, you've already got a pretty pretty good holistic uh, approach here, um, and as I mentioned before, my sister Jackie's a, a client of yours, and I'm going to interview her in a little bit too because I'm really looking forward to getting her view of what you've helped her with and how she's changed and mentally gotten over things. But she always said to me, oh, I can't get fitter. I can't get healthier. It's too hard because she was on night shift. She's a paramedic, was a nurse, now a paramedic. And then she finally got a break from night shifts. And I said, all right, Jack, well, what's your excuse now? And she said, well, what do I do? Do I go to a gym? Do I get a personal trainer? What is it? And I said, oh, there's a place just down the road from you. You've got to go see Chris Jones at Primal Movement and, you know, have a chat. And, you know, it's the only, you're the only trainer that, she's ever clicked with only person she's ever listened to and you're not so much as much as a personal trainer as it is for the the guidance the coaching of all the other things because you've got the holistic approach where you change nutrition you change um her posture dynamics straighten her up balance her out a bit um, and she's made incredible improvements and just loves still coming back. And she's a person that never loves to sweat, doesn't, <laughs> like, to, doesn't like to push herself. But she's still coming back to see she you. She still doesn't like squats, though. <laughs> I think that's going to change. Um, so your, your approach here, your, your, your main core values, um, well, your approach is rebuild, strengthen, sustain. Um, and your core values are personal, holistic, supportive, and professional so obviously they're amazing, you know, pillars to have and resonated with someone like Jack. So can you talk us through how you approach 
someone like Jack or or, or your or your clients in general? Uh, one thing we do here is keep the gym pretty low key, so it's not super busy. It's a nice environment. It's one where you get quite a lot of personal attention, even if you're not in a strictly one-on-one situation with your coach. But the first thing we do with anybody, you sit down for probably, I probably sat down with Jack for a couple of hours. Uh, you know, and a good part of that is listening to her, um, understanding her a bit, building a relationship, as well as then doing, we do a lot of uh, physical orthopedic sort of assessment things. And you're trying to work out what is it that that person needs in, in that point. You know, I needed to breathe under the tree, so that's what I did. In, at the moment, my, I, I do breathing exercises, but it's not the most important thing that I'm doing. So when Jack was in, it was like, what does she need to do to change? And Jack was in a really good place, really, because she's a very positive girl. I mean, you've obviously known her a lot longer than I have, but she's always got a smile on her face. She's very positive. She's lovely to be around. And someone like that will, will change much easier than someone who's in a bit more of a hole, say, or got you know, other, other patterns. So for Jack, really, the shift working was a big factor. So what she did brilliantly was she just got herself organized. And it was as simple as chopping up veggies or getting organic meat rissoles uh, cooked up before and have everything, having everything ready uh, as opposed to eating on the fly when you're pretty much stuffed, if you try with that. So she did really well and adapted quickly. And simple things, like I said, you can have butter with your veggies and like she's over the moon you know she's sending texts i can't believe i can have butter <laughs> this is amazing you know that so the nutrition she got without being she didn't need to be a hundred percent you know strict and she got herself 90 percent there and got an amazing result she still went away for a few weekends and caught up with the girls and had a cocktail or whatever she was doing and it was fine because 90 percent of what she was doing was great and then your body can absorb the rest it was fine and she was having fun at the time, so that kind of balances yeah, that's right. out a little bit. And life would be pretty dull if you weren't doing that. It'd be, you know, what would be the point? Um, so that makes it much more sustainable, which, you know, who cares if you lose 12 kilos in 12 weeks? Uh, you know, we're, I think, all in this for the long term if we're on the same page. Um, and then the other thing Jack needed to do was, was build some resistance training um, into her program or in into a program (laughs) you know and she's a paramedic so you've got a lot of physical work and part of that initial assessment we we were talking about what she had to do day to day picking people up moving this carrying that you know and it was no wonder she had a bad back Uh, you know she she wasn't conditioned for it job was like uh racing an ironman every week you know it was crazy through the middle of the night through the middle of the night that's right on crap food (laughs) So, you know, she, she got herself organized. She, she got into training and probably it's one of our strengths at Primal is pitching exercise at the right level for the right person. So, you know, there's, there's, there's masses of research to say high-intensity exercise is fantastic. Right? But when you're starting out an exercise program, it's the stupidest thing you can do. So Jack came in and took it easy, built up. We did a lot of postural work, you know, all the core type of stuff. Glutes was an enormous area that she needed to develop strength in, and, and she did. Um, and, you know, hey, presto, back pain's gone. She's even more inclined to come into the gym then. You know, she was really building awareness about her gut and what food she could and couldn't have, which is so powerful. I mean, you know that, Pete. The, uh, she'd go away from, I mean, she went to Singapore or Hong Kong or something for a weekend, and she came back literally clutching her stomach, going, oh, my God, I had... <laughs> dumplings or whatever it was you know but she knew it was that that's why i don't have it so it was a really good reinforcer so it was very simple stuff for jack you know it really was yeah and the before and after photo with the straight line down the middle side on and front on it's just incredible um like she has a knee that tracks in and posture wasn't great and just everything just started to align so much easier and as we talked earlier, um, then just your body feels better. It frees up your nervous system to relax more because it's not holding on and trying to balance out these structural imbalances as much. Yeah, that's right. And and I think, you know, you under, you know, not enough stress or too much stress, muscles can get both short and tight or long and weak. And you just develop these huge imbalances. And when you start balancing the body out, the whole system's happier and, 
you know, emotion, if you're not in back pain, you're going to be emotionally happier and you've got much more chance of sticking to your diet and not eating yeah. crap and sugar and whatever. Yeah, and once, and she's the example that once you get rid of it, then it's easy to stay off it because you lose, your taste buds change and she's amazing. She like sticks to her diet really, really well and it's not a diet, it's just her eating patterns. Yeah. Well, that's right, exactly. Of changing, changed her eating patterns. So now, you know, she doesn't have to think hard about it. It's just habits are that she now eats healthier food and she she really loves it. Yeah, much happier. Oh, you can see it. I mean, she she you know sort of floats in and she's all happy and you know and it's pretty cool yeah uh, even though and she's back on night shifts now but it's obviously not ideal because on that night shifts you'd, you'd have a a view on how detrimental night shifts can be for people yeah pretty can be pretty awful uh, especially females with you know slightly more sensitive hormonal system um ideally you you know you you get out of that situation um my sister was a nurse she uh she was in the same boat and got off nights and had all sorts of health benefits from that and i think if you're in there i mean jack was doing it recently i think for a shorter period i think oh she's back on it now she had about a year off or a year and a bit off night shift and you know she made great changes and loved it and she's now back on night shift so be interesting for you to see yeah. what you notice in the gym um for her yeah well i mean one great thing is she's got the the background habit of eating and all that sort of stuff. But then you see, well, what if, if the sleep and the recovery and the hormonal cycle and all the things behind, you know, what, what that night shift is um, altering, it, it, does that become the weakest link that, that causes cracking or is the other stuff enough to carry her through? It'll, you know, yeah. yeah it'll, it'll and as tricky. I said, I, when I say my, that, you know, Jack will turn up at the gym and Chris might notice something, it's not a regular gym where someone's just turning up and, you know, Chris is the personal trainer just telling them to train hard. Jack comes in and she mentions it. She's like, oh, well, when Chris wasn't here, it wasn't as good because I really like Chris because she connects with you. So she knows that you're giving her the full analysis of how her hormones and nutrition and emotional and you can just read it in her and you can have a chat about that and help her stay on track so she's not coming here just because yeah. it's strength work she's coming to see you because you're giving her that holistic um the confidence in what she's doing but also the the backing in what she's doing and and just little adjustments here and there uh yeah i think we were talking about this before we got on the mics about um the fact that i use some of the mafetone um, training stuff, not that I'm needing to plug the math stuff, mm. but uh, that's a good case. If Jack comes in, you know, a day or two after night shift, the first thing we're going to do, she'll be on a foam roller lying down, relaxing for a couple of minutes while we talk about what's going on. And if she says to me, look, I'm absolutely stuffed after this night shift or whatever may have happened, the workout will change. You know, and mm. that's a classic example where lower intensity aerobic work is really restorative. It gets people moving, light sweat, pumps and energizes the body. It doesn't deplete and fatigue the adrenals. And, um, Just the perfect amount of blood flow without, yeah. without depleting any adrenals and things. It's, yeah. it's excellent. And then you know, you're not pushed into craving sugars and all that sort of stuff. There's a much broader knock-on effect. Which is, yeah, you know, it's pretty useful. Yeah, everything knocks on to everything else. Yeah. But, you know, if Jack, Jack comes in and she goes, oh, night shift is easy, I feel a million dollars, then we'll probably go for gold. Yeah. You know, and it's a day to go. Because, as you said, she needs that little bit of strength here and yeah, there. Yeah, um, She needs it for work and she needs it because she doesn't have that background in any strength workout. Yeah. You know, when she was younger, though, she did a hell of a lot of sport. Everything was different, different sport every term. Um, but then it was Tim and I that carried on and were the competitive ones. And um, she became the, the one that saves people's lives. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> Which can be quite a physical job, you know. And you want to, you've got to be looking after yourself. And think of the amount of energy that she gives out emotionally as well as physically mm. in her oh, job. Yeah. Enormous. If, if, if you don't look after yourself, and it happens to personal trainers all the time, you just get blown out. Because you're giving all your resources away if you're in that sort of a caring role. And if you haven't nourished yourself with rest and food and all that, um, you got, you know, you'll you'll be an empty vessel. Yeah, definitely. You need your you need energy to give emotions and feel motivated as well as 
um, as well as to actually move. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, as you found out, under a tree. <laughs> <laughs> you need your energy to, to be motivated and have a good pain tolerance. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, uh, it's pretty much there's no doubt in my mind that the 10 years I spent uh, before being under the tree, all the hell stuff we did there kept me alive. You know, that's the robustness of the physical system, the, the integrity of the internal stuff, mindset, breathing, all, all of the stuff we'd done. You know, I'm pretty sure I'd have been dead if it, if it wasn't for it. Um, and the mindset, as you said, do you think you got some of that, though, from just playing sport even before you turned to health? Because mindset's one of those things that it's always happening in the background. So you've either got a good mindset where you can deal with things that crop up and you deal with them with a fairly positive attitude and calmly, or you've got the other type of mindset where everything's a overreaction and everything's hard to deal with. So it's like you're either doing one or the other all the time, subconsciously. Yeah. So, But you obviously started doing that sort of mindset when you were playing team sports when you were younger. Yeah, it's, not, it's actually not something I thought about for a couple of months, but I remember initially being in hospital just thinking back to, you know, I grew up in Wales where it does rain a fair bit and I played a lot of rugby and you have cold, wet days and, you know, British winter and you've got to trudge onto a field, you get yourself kicked in the head and you've got to carry on and all those things, you know, being in a triathlon race and you're cramping up and you go, I've just got to get through this. All those uncomfortable times, you know, um, uh, whether it's gym training, doing your last set of squats or what doesn't, whatever. Just those experiences that make you more resilient um, and put you, you know, through small doses of stress um, that you, you, you learn to, you know, learn to cope with. And that was a big part of me knowing that the final whistle was going to come from me being under that tree. I knew it was going to get out at some point. I tried to try and stay alive under there, but, you know, it was going to end. Like a game ends or a race ends. And you just got to do your bit in there yeah. and stay calm and not panic and go overboard. And yeah, and you've done a bit of, but you've done a bit of intentional mindset training over the years as well, like a bit of meditation and you do things. And obviously, in the gym, as you said, you've subconsciously got that from when you were younger. But you also do some intentional training on keeping that positive mindset as well to strengthen it up. Yeah, we've done quite a lot of breath work with different coaches over the years. And then um, meditation is something I've never been that consistent with. Uh, in fact, I've just uh, been doing a course with our friend John Marsh, um, uh, his meditation uh, course, 21 Days, I think it's called. Um, and I've, I actually value it even more now. I was probably doing a little bit of it before, and since the accident, I'm doing a heck of a lot more of it because I, I know how important it is. It's, it's good for, for my recovery, for my ongoing you know, life, my emotional balance, all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's actually, I've adopted it more and more since, since the accident, actually. So, almost, almost at the end, seven months on from the accident, you're in the gym, you're doing some good activities, rehab. It's going really well. The only thing now is just your left calf still hasn't got full nerve activity through there. Um, so you're just wearing a brace for your ankle yep. just to keep your foot up at the moment. But it's still pretty early days and there's still plenty of other treatment that you can go through. Um, but, yeah, how would you rate your um, – obviously your recovery is incredible, um, how fast you got out of hospital. But, yeah, seven months on, what, what shapes your body in? Um, it, it's funny because you, sometimes I've got to stop to realise how far I have come. Um, and Again, that's become a, a bit of a focal point during a meditation or just a bit of mindfulness. Um, you know, the athlete in me wants to get there quicker and I want to play more with my kids. And, you know, it's, it was one of the trickiest things leaving hospital, actually looking at what I wanted to do but couldn't do. Whereas in hospital, it focused on look at my improvement all, all the time, but your eyes aren't on the outside world of playing soccer with the kids or, you know, going for a swim whatever. Um, so I reckon I'm about, I'm, I'm recovering at double time, your average punter, I reckon. Um, uh, and I, I've just got to be patient, which is a virtue that <laughs> I'm learning, uh, with, the, with the nerve damage. Um, uh, I'm 100% I'm sure it'll come back. Um, I'm doing everything possible to speed that um, uh, process up. And, you know, um, some of the tremor stuff that we talked about earlier on that 
you mentioned Pete, I'll be getting into because why would I leave a stone unturned when it's such a nice simple one and I can learn another skill and tool. So I do all, all sorts. Um, so yeah, I'm fairly relentless in my pursuit of recovery without trying to go overboard. Um, and back at work as well. Back at work for a couple of months, uh, although at uh, slightly reduced duties. Um, but again, it's good for the head to be back amongst positive people in the environment that I love and doing something I love. So yeah. uh, Doing something, I guess, productive, whereas for six months it was or five months, it was pretty hard to be productive in a hospital bed. Yeah. I mean, I was ready for it. I was ready for the interaction. And, uh, you know, a lot of people around here supported me. So it was just lovely being back in that environment with them. So, uh, yeah, pretty cool. Awesome. Um, so can you wrap us up a bit with uh, some tips that you've learned from the last seven months that you're now passing on to clients and to the listeners? Um, yeah, some big lessons that you've learned. Um, big lessons I've learned. I think probably in the acute stage of something, having a real um, intentional focus on what you need to do at that point to move you forward. So for me, just breathing under the tree was pretty critical and everything else could go out the window. That was just what I needed to do at that point. So I think in certain circumstances, having a real laser pointer on something you need to do is important. But then other times, if you're not in that acute position, you've just got to have a good broad, um, a broad view of nutrition and hydration and sleep and uh, you know, moving the right amount and uh, thought processes and all that sort of stuff. It has to be a broad, a broad mind because you know, because really, Jack's night shifts could undo all the rest of her good work. She has to be aware of the whole picture. You know, might have um, to make it up somewhere else, get a bit of extra benefit somewhere else to counteract that extra stress. Now, yeah, that's right. You've got to lower lower down some other stresses to make room for it. Mm. Exactly, and and absorb more of the stress. You might need to start doing more meditation and. <laughs> you know, mindfulness practice in the ocean or something. Something to, to take... Get back to her um, diving. Diving. And free diving that yeah. she learnt as well, which is very meditative also. Anything like that that's calming and cathartic to the system and relaxing will reduce, you know, reduce the overall stress picture, which means you've got more capacity. It's like if you're training, you've got more capacity to train hard if you look at the rest of the stuff. But if you, if you have crappy food and poor recovery, you can't absorb any extra training stress. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think having a broad view and knowing knowing where you've got to fo- you know you've you've got to you know uh, balance out all the different factors. Um, uh, you know, because you can do that at a, get ninety percent of it right, and you you're there. You don't have to get a hundred percent of everything right. You know, it's uh, there's always going to be some stress. That's right. You, let, you see it a lot these days. People creating the extra stress of having to be a perfectionist with their food. Or I have to follow my training program. Well, no, you don't. You know, that might be the wrong training program for you today. Or they feel guilty when they miss a session because right. they're so stuck well, to triathletes it. Triathletes are classic like that. If I don't swim, run a bike three times each in a week, I'm nobody. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a big stress, isn't it? Yeah. You go backwards more from the guilt and anxieties from missing the session than from just missing the session. Yeah, that's missing right. Missing the session would have been beneficial. Without yeah. all the other emotional yeah, stuff. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think if you, if you can get the basics done well, especially, you know, nutrition and rest and the things that build energy, um, it's, a, it's a pretty good place to start. And then you've got energy to do what you want and have as much fun or train or whatever you want. Yeah. Express it all. Yeah. So you, and you haven't changed anything in particular since, since the accident? Any particular facet of your life? I've definitely got a, quite a lot more gratitude from just being around. And, and, you know, you sort of sort of wake up, smell the coffee type of attitude. You go, wow, isn't this absolutely amazing? Sometimes I'll, sometimes I'll just look at the sky and just go, how just awesome is that color of the sky? And I'm here in the middle of winter. You know, or relationships, you value them. And, you know, the kids for sure. I just love my daughter particularly, who was only one when it happened. Yeah. You know, her giving me a cuddle. Is is just gold, and it just melts your heart more than it ever melted it before. So uh, she's nearly doubled in age. She's nearly since doubled in age. She's getting heavier and jumps jumps a bit more as well. What you what you might have missed half her life by now. That's already. right. Yeah. Um, so I I I think I'm I'm more appreciative of life, and I'm I've you know I've got my foot off the gas a bit when it might come to work. I don't need to hit 
work goals and constant growth and look at the finances every two minutes, yep. who cares? <laughs> really? <laughs> as long as you pay the bills and you're having fun and putting Got a bit away. Got some time off for fun and family. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, and sneak off early from work and go and go to the beach with the kids and yeah, sort of, you know. <laughs> I was pretty good at that anyway, but <laughs> just a bit more focused. Awesome. Well, um, that's everything I, I wanted to cover. Um, is there anything that I haven't covered about family, business, um, or your near-death experience that you'd like to add to finish it off? Probably the only thing I didn't really mention enough was the community aspect of being in a health environment, not just as a trainer, but just friends who've got similar health values and colleagues and all that stuff, how supportive that environment is. I had no idea. You know, uh, in Newcastle, eight weeks, I think I only had one or two days where I didn't have visitors from Sydney. It was just insane. People bringing me food and books and, well, you know, just moral support or people had made kombucha for me or whatever, you know, whatever it was. So the community around, I had no idea. I was just a bit oblivious to how amazing people can be and how supportive. So, yeah, I think that's the one, the one thing I didn't cover with enough conviction. Yeah. You must be an all right bloke then. <laughs> have a few good friends. It must be Nikki, I think. They're just looking after her. <laughs> it is. It's always the wives that are the ones yeah, that are yeah. nice to people, isn't it? That's yeah. right. Far less Jamie's far nicer to people. Than far I less am. selfish and grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. That has been amazing, Chris Jones. Um, thanks for having me here at Primal Movement. And uh, thanks so much for sharing your experience. Uh, thanks, Pete. And good luck with the podcast and the technological developments. And people can follow you. Um, your rehab and things on Instagram? Yeah, there's, uh, there's a Primal Movement Instagram and Facebook page. Uh, most posts go across to Facebook from Instagram. Um, yeah, and there's bits and pieces of my rehab and various crawling exercises and things I'm doing to rebuild the system. Yeah, so check him out. And if you live, you know, anywhere within reach of um, Brookvale in Sydney and you want to do something about your health um, and performance then definitely come down to Primal Movement and uh, have a chat with Chris Jones. Uh, Chris, thanks so much again for being on Live Your Own Fit Podcast. Thanks, Pete.